Nicholas, that was a beautiful offertory this morning. Wow, wasn't that just gorgeous? Simplicity and purity of a, of a piano and worshiping God. What a beautiful instrument. Beautiful hymn. Uh, take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a, a red pew Bible there in front of you. So turn to Luke chapter 8. be page 864 in your pew Bible. Just a few brief verses that we're going to read together today. Uh, the first three verses of chapter 8. Uh, if you're able to remain standing, please do so. Remember, this is following the wonderful uh, story, true story, that, that Patrick preached on last week about Jesus going to a Pharisee's house and this sinful woman, a renowned sinful woman in town, comes to Jesus and she, she kneels before Jesus' feet and she's crying, she's weeping, she's wetting and cleaning his feet, his dirty feet with her tears and she's wiping the dirt off of his feet with her hair. And Jesus tells this woman that her sins are forgiven. And then Luke uh, gives us this account in Luke chapter 8. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come now and attend the reading and particularly the preaching of your word this morning. Open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, open our minds to comprehend, and help Open our hearts to receive your grace this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Friends, don't believe these lies. Don't believe these lies. You're too far gone. There's no help for you. There's no hope for you. Don't believe these lies. Do you know where these lies originate? They originate in the pit of hell from Satan's lips. That's not the only lie that Satan whispers to someone like you and someone like me. He whispers this lie. God loves everyone unconditionally. Accept you. Don't believe this lie. Do you know where this lie originates? It's Satan in the pit of hell. Don't believe it, don't buy it. Here's another lie Satan will whisper into your mind and to my heart on a day like today. He'll say, You know, God's Grace is sufficient that he can forgive anyone of anything, but he won't forgive you. You notice the twist? It isn't that God can't forgive you. He just tries to convince me and you that he won't forgive us. Don't believe this lie. Do you know why? 
It's straight from hell. Here's another lie that Satan whispers into your heart and my heart, into the lives of our friends and family members that we try to invite to church. He tells them this, that they're not supposed to come to church until they get themselves all cleaned up, come, get right with Jesus, and then they should come to church. That's a lie. Why? Because we know that we're spiritually dead and we don't come to Christ on our own. How many dead people have ever called 911? No, no, no one. Not one single dead person has ever called 911. And in a similar way, in an analogous way, spiritually dead people don't call out to Christ for help. But instead, we hear Christ calling our name back to life. So don't believe the lie that you've got to get yourself cleaned up before you come to Jesus, because that is a lie that Satan tells. And do you know why Satan tells these lies? He pours these lies from his cauldron of deceit because he's trying to extinguish God's grace in your life and my life. But thanks be to God that Satan is incapable of extinguishing God's grace in your life. He's incapable of extinguishing God's grace in my life, but what he can try to do is distract us. So you maybe sense I'm a little bit excited this morning. You think, well, he had a week out of the pulpit. Maybe he's just trying to make up for it. No, no, I'm excited about this passage for this reason. That I long to see lives changed by God's grace. Don't you? But I long to see that, that change in myself because of God's sovereign grace at work. And I long to see your life changed by God's grace. Don't you? I mean, I have family members, don't you, that I long to see changed. Because God's grace has been moving in their life. I've got friends that I long to see changed. Because God's grace has moved in their life. Why am I beating that drum this morning? Because of this passage. Didn't you see it? Just a couple of verses here that we can be tempted to just kind of breeze by them as we make our way from this amazing story that Patrick Darty preached on last week that's a true story about Jesus forgiving this renowned sinful woman her sins. And as Jesus begins making his way to tear up, tell us about the parable of the soils. But don't miss this marvelous passage that highlights some radical testimonies involving God's sovereign grace changing people's lives. I love the fact that we have in this church generations of people generations of families that have worshipped here at the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church of Bartow. I rejoice over that. I rejoice over that custom, that tradition. It's a beautiful thing. But I don't know about for you, but for me, what I long to see most are lives changed by God's grace. And that's what we see in this passage. We see some radical testimonies of God's grace. And so this morning, I want us to ask the question, answer the question, what is involved in a genuine testimony? 
What's involved in a genuine testimony of God's saving grace? In just these few verses, we see several elements of a genuine testimony. We see several elements of a genuine conversion in someone's life. Because God's sovereign grace has been active in their life. The first element we see in a genuine conversion is this, is gospel proclamation. Gospel proclamation. Take a look at verse 1. It says, soon afterward, Jesus went on through cities and villages. And the idea here is that Jesus was continuously going through all these different cities and villages. But what was he doing as he was going throughout these cities and villages? I want you to notice where the primary focus is in this passage. Because it was the primary focus of Jesus' ministry. We tend to think about all the healings and the miracles that he performed. That's true. Jesus did perform many miracles. He did perform many healings. This passage is going to highlight that fact. But notice what took the primary significance in Jesus' work in verse 1. Soon afterward, he went on through the cities and villages doing what? Proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. What was the primary focus of Jesus' ministry? Gospel proclamation. The preaching of the gospel. That the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so what is a genuine testimony involved? The first element involved in a genuine gospel testimony is this. It has received genuine gospel proclamation. What was Jesus preaching? What was he proclaiming? The good news of the kingdom of God. That he was the king of kings. That he is the Lord of lords. That although Caesar seemed to rule and reign in the Roman Empire, Jesus is actually the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And his disciples were confused by this kingdom that he was preaching. Because they imagined that when the Messiah arrived, that he would overthrow the Roman government. But instead, the kingdom of God came in a much more subtle, spiritual way. The kingdom of God and the rule of God that was promised was being fulfilled. The kingdom of God that was prophesied was being fulfilled. But how is it being fulfilled? Through the proclamation of God's word. And what was happening is that the Holy Spirit was drawing people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he was changing their hearts. He wasn't overthrowing Caesar in Rome, but he was overthrowing the idols that were sitting upon the throne room of their heart. Notice what's involved in a genuine gospel testimony is gospel proclamation. It says here, Jesus proclaimed and brought the good news of the kingdom of God. In 1857, Charles Spurgeon was set to preach at the Crystal Palace. It's one of my favorite stories about Charles Spurgeon that's true. It is told by someone that on his deathbed, this story, that Charles Spurgeon made his way into the Crystal Palace one afternoon, and he began to test the acoustics of the room. 
And rather than saying, testing, testing, one, two, three, testing, instead, in God's providence, Charles Spurgeon made his way to the pulpit and he tested the acoustics by quoting this verse. Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. And so in that moment of testing the acoustics of the room, Charles Haddon Spurgeon proclaimed a gospel nugget. Do you know what happened? In an adjacent room, there was a workman working in the building. And he would later recount that as he heard those words being uttered in the sanctuary, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. That man said that it was as if heaven opened up, spoke to his heart. He was smitten by conviction. So much so that he couldn't finish his work. He laid down his tools, walked home, and after a moment in a season of spiritual wrestling, he found peace in Jesus Christ. It gives me goosebumps. Why? Because what happened? A genuine gospel testimony happened that day. What did it involve? Gospel proclamation. He heard the word of God being preached. And his life was changed. Have you received the good news, friends? If your testimony today is that you're a lover of Jesus Christ, it's because you've heard the word of God read or proclaimed. And God in his sovereign grace saved you. And if you're sitting here this morning or if you're tuning in through online streaming, my prayer is that if you have not been saved by God's sovereign grace, that the Spirit would move even this day so that you would be saved and changed. For this is the good news, my friends, that all of us deserve not only physical death, but spiritual death. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is good news for you. Do you know why? Because many of us have been raised to believe that we're saved by what we do rather than what, because of what God has done for us. And even if you've heard that gospel message time and time again, the knee-jerk and the knee-bend reaction of our hearts and our minds is to think that we have to do something to earn it. That we have to do something to maintain it. That we have to do something to keep it. And that's why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 9, God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion upon whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. If you've been saved by God's grace, you've been saved because of God's sovereign grace that he has moved upon you and within you to draw him to himself and to save you. God be praised. That's why we gather on Sunday mornings. That's why we continue to gather to worship Jesus even in the face of a pandemic. Do you know why? Because his name alone reminds us 
of his authority and his ability. That he, it was said in Matthew's gospel, and Joseph and Mary will name him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. The gospel was proclaimed even as Jesus was named. God be praised. What does a genuine testimony involve? The first element it involves is gospel proclamation. It's always the primary work of the church. We spread the gospel through the preaching of the word, through the sharing of the message. But that's the first element of a genuine testimony is gospel proclamation. But notice the second element of a genuine testimony is gospel, not only proclamation, but transformation. Look at this in verses 1 through 2. And it says, and the twelve were with him. Do you remember how the twelve were transformed? You have James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder. Sounds like wrestler names, doesn't it? WWE or WWF wrestling. The sons of thunder that were used to be fishermen, and then they became fishers of men. You remember Peter and how he was transformed from a coward that in his profession of faith in Christ becomes the cornerstone of the church. And the one, Peter, who once denied Christ eventually would be martyred for Christ. Transformed. Why? Because of the sovereign grace of God at work in his life. And then we have to look back just a couple of gospels to the gospel of Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector, a sinner. He cheated people, and yet, notice how he was changed and transformed by God's grace. That suddenly he became used by God to preserve the gospel for the church of Jesus Christ throughout the ages. You see just how the twelve were already transformed by God's grace. That's what a genuine testimony involves. Not only gospel proclamation, but gospel transformation. But I don't want you to miss the radical testimonies that are recorded here in verse 2. And by the way, ladies, you will never see another world religion that honors the women the way the Christian faith does. In the first century, a woman's testimony was not considered reliable. And yet we see here in the Gospels how the Holy Spirit records for all of us the work of God in these precious women's lives and how they are later used by God in a wonderful, powerful way that we'll highlight together this morning. But look at the genuine testimonies in verse 2. And it says, also some women who have been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. The, the passage here highlights the fact that this was the work of God that was done upon them. Not something that they mustered up on their own, but it was the, the work of God upon them that transformed them. And what did he do? He healed them of evil spirits and infirmities. These are actions that God did upon their life that had continuing implications and continuing results in their life. And look at the radical testimonies we see here in verse 2. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Seven? I mean, one would have been impressive. But seven demons expelled from her? What do we see here in this genuine testimony? Gospel transformation. A woman who is haunted by seven demons, expelled the seven demons, and now saved by God's grace and transformed. 
It's interesting this week to listen to scholars debate about whether or not Mary Magdalene is actually the woman that Patrick preached about last week. Was she the same renowned sinner? And so scholars are in debate about whether or not that's the case or not. Nonetheless, we know that Mary Magdalene had seven demons expelled by Jesus Christ. A radical testimony of God's grace. A genuine testimony of God's grace because she was transformed. But don't miss the subtle but significant transformation that happens here in verse 3. And Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's, Herod's household manager. Don't miss this. Just one previous chapter Remember, it looks as if hell is winning, that Satan is winning, because John the Baptist is held captive in the dungeon of Herod's palace. Remember, John the Baptist sends some of his disciples to talk to Jesus and ask Jesus if he's the Messiah, if he's the promised one. Remember how John the Baptist's story ends? He's beheaded. Because Herod is overcome by lust. Because of one of his relatives and makes a harsh vow. But don't miss a genuine testimony of God's sovereign grace. In a very subtle way, the kingdom of God infiltrates Herod's palace even during the season and the time when John the Baptist is being beheaded. What happens? Cusa is a household manager for Herod. That means he would have been in charge, all likelihood, of some major finances and a lot of Herod's property. He would have been a very well-respected and a high-ranking official in Herod's palace. What happens? The Spirit of God moves upon Joanna. Cusa's wife, and she comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Notice how the kingdom of God advanced subtly but significantly, even in the face of seeming defeat. And if that isn't beautiful enough, fast forward to the end of Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 24, verse 10. And what do we find there? Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other with them who told these things to the apostles. To the apostles. Mary Magdalene and Joanna right here in chapter 8 are two of the three women that will be with at the tomb on Easter Sunday testifying to the fact that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is alive. Why is this significant? Because we see the transformation of God's grace in their life. And don't miss verse 3. Unless you think that you need to be part of a king's palace or expelled seven demons from you to have an amazing testimony. I love this. And Susanna... And many others were healed and saved by Jesus. We know nothing else about Susanna in the Gospels except that her name appears here. Do you know why? Because any testimony of God's sovereign grace is a radical testimony of God's saving grace. Do you know why? 
Because any of us that come to faith in Christ were once spiritually dead and we've been made spiritually alive by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit as God's sovereign grace has been poured upon our lives. God be praised. What is a genuine testimony involved? It involves not only gospel proclamation, but gospel transformation. And so friends, my question to you this day is this. How have you been changed? Some of you came to faith in high school. Some of you came to faith in Christ in college or after college. Those that knew you before you came to faith in Christ, would they see the difference? Would they see the change? Would they see a contrast? That if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Man, I hope that if people could see me today, those that were in elementary school or junior high with me, I hope that they would see a difference in me. Do you know where I got my name? Tanner? Have I ever told you? It's embarrassing. I'm not named after anyone in my family. I'm not named after any great person in the Bible. Although there was Simon the Tanner. That's not where they got my name. My parents were watching a, a movie one day called The Bad News Bears. And there's this little short, blonde-headed kid with a terrible temper that cussed a lot. And my parents said, Tanner, we like that name. Let's name our kid Tanner. And almost in a prophetic way, there have been many times in my life where I've resembled that little kid. But I hope and pray that those who went to elementary school or junior high with me, if they could see me today, I hope and pray they would see a contrast. And I'm praying that God will continue to iron out the wrinkles of inconsistency and iron out the wrinkles of hypocrisy in my life. Do you know why? Because I want my testimony to be a genuine testimony of gospel transformation in my life. How about you? Or how about this? Not only about in your own life, but in the life of your friends and family members. Imagine what they would be like if they come to faith in Christ. Picture it. Picture how they would be different. Elders, you've got, you've got a shepherd list. We had, we had children come for covenant baptism today. Do you pray for those children to come to faith in Christ? Do you picture what they're going to be like when they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? We need to be partnering with these parents, praying for their children to come to faith in Jesus. Amen? Oh, yeah, and Presbyterian should even amen that. That's right. What is a genuine testimony of all? It's not only gospel proclamation, but gospel transformation. There's a lady that's attended several of our family Bible conferences by the name of Rosaria Butterfield. She's got a powerful testimony that was recorded in Christianity Today a number of years ago. Rosaria Butterfield's testimony is that she was a very leftist, lesbian English professor... I believe at, at uh, University of Syracuse. 
And around 1997, she published an article in the local newspaper that was against the Promise Keepers movement. It was very leftist-leaning, she was very pro-lesbian. And there's a gentleman by the name of Ken Smith, who was a pastor of the Syracuse uh, Reformed Presbyterian Church, that wrote her a letter, not to argue with her, but said, I just would like to begin a friendship with you, and I would like to learn why you believe what you believe. And the Holy Spirit moved in that moment, and what began as just a simple letter, the Holy Spirit used to, to bring Rosaria Butterfield and Ken Smith to a friendship. And eventually, the Spirit moved upon Rosaria Butterfield that she went to church one Sunday, and Ken was preaching on John chapter 7, verse 17, that says this, If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God, for whether I'm speaking on my own authority. And do you know what happened? The Holy Spirit moved through the gospel proclamation. And it resulted in a gospel transformation in Rosaria Butterfield's life. And she came to faith in Jesus Christ. Rosaria Butterfield left her lesbian lifestyle. She's now a minister's wife. Married to a minister in the RPCNA, the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America, and she's a proud mother. What is that? That's a genuine testimony. How do we know? Because gospel proclamation was followed by gospel transformation. Which leads us to the final element of a genuine testimony we see in this passage, which is gospel dedication. Gospel dedication. Look at it, verse 3. It says, And Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means. This verse has always troubled me. Does it trouble you? It kind of troubles me because it makes, on the surface, I feel like Jesus looks like a sissy. Like he's sponging off these women. Did you get that sense when you read it? Like it kind of gut-checked me a little bit here. I was encouraged by the writings of J.C. Raw this week when J.C. said, Jesus didn't receive their help because he needed their help. Jesus is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. It isn't as if Jesus was wrangling his, his, wrangling his fingers and, and, and worried about where his next meal is going to come from. But instead, what happens here is that Jesus provides these women an opportunity to show their love for him, their honor of him, their dedication to him. So Ryle says this, that true love will count it a pleasure to give anything to the object love. So what we see here is that the final element of a genuine testimony is gospel dedication. That these women walked with Christ because they've been saved by Christ. And the course of the rest of their life is permeated with a gospel dedication. That their life is about the person and work of Jesus Christ being spread to those that don't know Jesus. And it just so happens that the way that they were to serve Jesus in the first century was to help feed him and the disciples. Some scholars say that perhaps they even sewed and stitched together Jesus and the disciples' clothing. That's a fun picture to picture, right? 
It says this. False love is often talk and profession of a great deal, but do nothing and give nothing. Friends, would anyone say that about you or me? That our walk with Christ is all talk. We're going to close this service today by singing a hymn that you're very familiar with, I'm sure. Called Amazing Grace. But there's a genuine gospel testimony by the author of that hymn. John Newton. John Newton's mother died when he was seven years old, and he went on his father's merchant ship at the age of 11. Later on, John Newton, he got entangled in the slave trade industry by, with a gentleman named Mr. Clow. Clow owned some lemon trees on an island west of Africa. But the Holy Spirit used some of the readings that John Newton read of Thomas Akempis and a, a very terrible storm that came upon a ship that ultimately resulted in, in Newton's conversion to Jesus Christ. And it's said of Newton that not only that he penned the, the, the words of amazing grace, but later on in his life, as he became an Anglican minister and held worship services and Bible studies, there were many men that came to John Newton and told him he needed to just retire in his old age. But do you know what John Newton replied? He said this, I can't stop. Shall this old African blasphemer stop while he can still speak? What do you see there? Gospel dedication. Why? Because he's been saved by God's sovereign grace. What could possibly cause that kind of dedication in your life, in my life? It's because we have a genuine testimony. That anyone who ever comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ has the same testimony of John Newton, the same testimony of Rosaria Butterfield, the same testimony of that unknown man that heard Charles Spurgeon test the acoustics in the Crystal Palace. We have the same testimony of Mary of Magdalene, Susanna, Joanna, and all the twelve disciples. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. That is your testimony, and that is my testimony. Why? Because of God's sovereign grace at work. To Christ alone be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you from start to finish. We're saved by your grace.
And from start to finish, we are sustained by your grace. And from start to finish, we are secured by your grace. Lord, I pray that every soul present in the service today would be saved by your sovereign grace. And that their lives would be a living testimony of the reality of your grace and your spirit's work among us. Iron out the wrinkles of inconsistency and hypocrisy among us. And help us to savor our Savior and His sovereign grace. Both this day and this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.